Warning, incoming game. Warning, incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game, the podcast where we watch... And rewatch Every episode of the 1967 television series, The Prisoner. I'm just... Wait, what? Yeah, no, I changed my mind. I only want to talk about The Prisoner now. But we're in the middle of a podcast for Reboot. We're, yeah, we're... you know, things change. People's feelings, you know? We still have a season and a half left to go. We'll come back to it, okay? Just 17 episodes of The Prisoner and then we'll come back to Reboot. I, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Each week, we uh, take an episode of Reboot, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. In case you can't tell, this week, we're in a prison of our own making. <laughs> With number seven. So, Jessica, how was your week? Then, my week was awful. Oh no, what happened? Well, there's multiple problems. But we'll go with the culmination of all of them, in which there are wasps living in my ceiling. Oh god. It was a literal horror story. I thought it was a leak. I poked said leak. It wasn't a leak. It was wasps. Oh man. How about you? <laughs> uh, I don't have wasps, so that's a good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I can't top that. So we have a special guest this week. It is Tom Dickinson of Doctor Who The Moment podcast. How you doing, Tom? I am doing well. How are both of you? Well, we, you, <laughs> I don't have wasps, and Jessica does, so... Oh, okay, so... So 50-50. <laughs> and I have half of a wasp. Oh, nice. Half of a wasp. No, that, that was a joke. Oh, okay. No, I have no wasp. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about The Moment? Uh, yeah, The Moment um, is a podcast about Doctor Who, where every week I invite a different guest on uh, to talk about a particular moment from a particular episode of Doctor Who that they like a lot, or that they have a lot to say about, or that they just think about a lot, and uh, it's a good time. That sounds awesome. I thought you would be a perfect fit for this, because we, every week, pick a frosty moment, and it's our favorite special moment from the episode that we just watched. And I have, uh, I, I actually picked three, just in, just in case, <laughs> in case I change my mind. So now, Tom, unlike our uh, more recent guests, you actually uh, have watched Reboot before. Uh, yes, although, to be perfectly honest, I don't really remember it that well, and I'm not entirely sure how much of it I ever watched. We just lost, like, ten subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, it turns out there is a Toonami wiki for the Toonami block on Cartoon Network on which Reboot aired. According to this wiki, it aired from around 1999 to 2001, which is around that time I would have seen it while I was, I was really there for Dragon Ball Z, but um, I did, I did catch quite a lot of Reboot. I think I mostly saw episodes from season three and then season four when they premiered it on Cartoon Network. Well, season three is the one to catch, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, um, I haven't rewatched any of it in such a long time, and I don't even really remember uh season two all that well or season one so this is this this strange version of the show that keeps blowing up its own premise every so often is the version of it that resonates most with me that was definitely the same for me if you go back and listen to some of our older episodes you can go and go i don't i think this is what happens i don't really remember at some point they get buff and i start remembering things again here's all you need to know enzo the smart bad bob <laughs> that's true except for the Enzo the smart part so this week we're doing season three, episode seven, number seven. It first aired on October 1st, 1997. It was written by Dan DiDio, story by Gavin Blair, Dan DiDio, Phil Mitchell, and Ian Pearson. 
And we are in yet another new system with yet another new voice letting us know that a game is incoming. Yeah, it's coming down on this like gray sphere with all these circles on it. Kind of a trypophobia trigger. <laughs> but uh, we find out that all these little dots are actually satellite dishes. And our heroes are having a tiff in an elevator. I get it. A tiff. Tiff in an elevator. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, yeah, they're trying to catch the latest game, but Matrix is pretty down on the whole situation. They've tried to leave the system multiple times already, and they're still stuck here. This is the fifth game we've played in this system. It doesn't matter if we download into this game. It's up to the user where we go. It's already been the reboot equivalent of years since they first left Mainframe. Hooray, more Mopey Matrix. That's my favorite. <laughs> I feel like this is the first time we really get to see a little bit about what their relationship is like. I mean, we get we get bits of that, but I think this is the most of them just like talking to one another that we've seen so far. And it's the first time she calls him lover. Gross. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, like, they've been doing it in different games. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much what happened, is in a kid's show, they straight up said, we have sex regularly. (laughs) (laughs) They land, uh, and Enzo's like, oh, goddammit, it's another golf game. I hate golf. He goes to check Glitch, but it's unresponsive. He must have forgotten to charge it before he left, so now it's battery's dead. He's not going to be able to Google anything. That's always the worst. (laughs) She's like, Enzo, Enzo, is that mainframe? We're inside a game. How can Mainframe be here? So Matrix is over the moon to be home, and Andrea has to burst his bubble and remind him that it's actually impossible to be Mainframe inside of a game. (laughs) Unless it's Reboot Golf for the PlayStation. Which? (laughs) There was a Reboot-themed game that came out for the PlayStation. Am I wrong about that? No, yes, you are completely correct. I I have just recently bought said game. Yeah, so I was wondering if this was a bit of cross-promotion for that at first. It almost feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah. But uh, just as Enzo is coming to terms with the fact that it can't actually be real, he sees Bob and Dot up ahead chasing Hack and Slash. And I actually have to admit, I felt my heart go a little warm and fuzzy when I saw them again. Aww. It felt good to be back. (laughs) It's not just any Bob and Dot. It's OG Bob and Dot. Like, you see Dot in her old outfit. She's not War Commander anymore. They're racing by on zip boards as they laughingly chase after Hack and Slash. There's no question that this time it is Bob. Like, he's undisguised and unaware of Enzo's presence. So Dot winks and playfully calls out, Oh no, now you've done it. I've never seen Bob this mad. Please don't hurt Hack and Slash when you catch them. Which causes Hack and Slash to poop their pants a little bit. (laughs) Which gives them time to catch up with them. Uh, Bob asks him to assume the position, which... Yeah, yeah. about that. (laughs) That entails them bending over and showing him their asses so he can whack them with his golf club. Look, this may or may not be erotic, and if it is, they're all consenting sprites. (laughs) I like how, um, even if this is mainframe, which we've yet to discover the truth at this point, but it is at the very least a golf-themed version of mainframe, So, which kind of (laughs) makes it more plausible that it might be be like a version of mainframe that exists within this golf game it does (laughs) the uh the two bots go sailing and bob gets a hole in one as they land inside the tour and then uh fong calls bob to tell him to head over to the principal office and quickly his scanners are picking up characters from an alternate dimension (laughs) matrix meanwhile has been standing there gaping like a fish the whole time they're trying to figure out what happened and it's still a mystery and andrea wants to know why matrix didn't call out to them So uh, Matrix stifles all of his simmering emotions with an I don't know instead of talking about it like a functioning adult. 
Andy postulates that uh, maybe they found a way to convert the whole system into game sprite mode, but he's like, no, that would take up too much memory. They'd have to convert everyone to 8-bit, and I've been down that road before. <laughs> Bob would just be opening and closing doors over and over. So so Andreas suggests rebooting, which freaks Matrix out. He's like, no way, I might become a little boy again. I've put childish things behind me. Now I'm a man, a man, man, man. Now you're a man, 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 man. Andrea reminds him that it's not the size of the boat, it's the motion of the ocean. <laughs> and so he relents, and the three of them reboot into Hex, Megs, and Scuzzy? What? And before things can get any worse, Hack and Slash show up to be loyal hench people. It's freaky because often when they when they reboot, they at least retain some amount of their own personal characteristics, but no, they are full-on the 3D models of, of Megabyte, Hexadecimal, and Scuzzy. Right. I was thinking the same thing about how, like, when they rebooted into Aliens, you know, Andrea was the fishy alien. Matrix will always have his one bad eye, where this one, they were just, no, they're just Hex and Megabyte, and that's it. So uh, back at the principal office, Fong is explaining to Bob and Dot that Megabyte and Hexadecimal have teamed up. And both Bob and Dot seem a little off in this scene. Like, their acting in animation's a little bit strange, I think. Even compared to, like, the rest of the episode. It was just this scene in particular. I feel like they're both acting like they're pretending to be their season one versions of themselves. That could be, too. That, that's what I got out of it, was them trying to be almost a little too wholesome. And even, like, Dot, like, her movements were a little bit jerkier and, like, stiff. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt like that was all intentional. I felt like that was them trying to, like sell the idea that this was this was season one characters this was you know back in the good old days Hmm. you know for some of us right (laughs) so bob mentions that the viruses must not find out about number one which is a shame because megs and hex are lounging around watching this scene play out through scuzzy i mean frisket andrea is slipping in and out of hex's voice is that everything you hate or everything you're afraid of becoming while Mega Enzo is learning the benefits of detachable legs. <laughs> this is that wiggle scene I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a big reveal because I had been, you know, looking at the um openings from the previous few episodes and I'm like, when are Megabyte and Hexadecimal even in this? And and why is he why is he doing a little dance? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Andy thinks that number one must be the objective of this game. But now, in a golf game, what would number one represent? Hole number one? A hole in one? Uh, maybe a hole in one? Yeah, like getting a one score? That's that's a thing, right? Yeah. And speaking of um, them like switching voices periodically, what's interesting is it never sounds jarring. It's always like a perfectly natural transition from one voice to the other. I need you to trust me. It's really good. Yeah, it's it's scary. It's actually kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. It kind of gives you the creeps every time it happens. And like that just shows how well they did it. Uh, this is cue for Hack and Slash to come in and do their little <laughs> back and forth, which causes Mega Enzo to go straight into Megabyte voice. Which definitely turns Andrea on. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's real weird. Megabyte's voice. So strong and commanding. Definitely not a little boy's. It's a shame that they're siblings now. Not that that stopped them before. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, okay, first of all, it's Andrea being kind of into Megabyte, which is weird on that level in and of itself. (laughs) And then it's Andrea dressed as Megabyte's sister, which is weird on a whole other level. (laughs) Yeah, but that voice, though, I mean, I I can't blame her. (laughs) And Enzobite is getting a little freaked out by all of it. <laughs> but 
yeah, she's impressed by how strong and manly it is. And after all, this is what Matrix wants, to be powerful. To quote uh, George R.R. R. Martin, kill the boy, let the man be born. Mm. So uh, meanwhile, Bob and co. are getting suspicious that Megabyte seems to be acting out of character when a couple of binomes pop on screen to alert them that he's heading their way. The music then goes full prisoner as we get Mega Enzo zooming along on a superbike towards the principal office. He gets a stomp down the darkened hallway into the core and slams his fist down on the table to give his resignation. <laughs> he wants to talk, but Bob ain't talking. He uh, tries to convince them to trust him. He's like, no, come on, it's me, Enzo. But they're not having any of it. So Bob uses Glitch's particle beam to keep him at bay because his glitch is fully functioning, by the way, Mm -hmm. which causes him to go all feral, which prompts Dot to point out that he can't be Enzo, because Enzo would never be this vicious. Yes. So Fong starts the filing and indexing process, and a big claw comes down and takes him to a giant filing cabinet. But he refuses to be poked, prodded, indexed, briefed, debriefed, overdrawn, or undercooked, (laughs) and breaks out of the claw machine. I do enjoy that he's using Megabyte's old trick here of infecting the claw machine. Yeah. Like, he has no qualms about using Megabyte powers. This is uh, arguably the most recognizable prisoner thing in the whole whole episode, and I certainly hadn't watched The Prisoner back when I watched this, so I kind of wonder what anyone who has doesn't know what that is is thinking at this moment when they're watching it. All those 90s kids who are really up on the 1960s shows. Sadly, 90s kids don't tend to watch The Prisoner that often. It's the same ones who would recognize, like, the Thunderbirds references and stuff like that from earlier. Exactly. But uh, meanwhile, Andrea Hex is making faces at herself in the mirror as Mega Enzo returns. And her bike fetish is still intact. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked the scene where she's exploring her emotional depths. Intrigued. (laughs) So Enzo relates his failure, and Andrea points out that being Megabyte isn't all bad. Because again... This is what he's wanted. The control. The power. But can I have all that and still be pretty? (laughs) Even if I have to delete them all to do it? At this point, it's getting hard to tell where Enzo and Andrea end and Hex and Megabyte begin. Mm -hmm. Which may or may not be the point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Fong comes back to the principal office and informs Bob and Dot that it's time to meet number one. Dot asks if it was hard to reach him. and He's like, nah, just texted him when he was going number two. So I I knew he'd have his phone on him. (laughs) They head out to the rendezvous point as Fong gets some tea from a nine butler. Yeah, I guess to make another golf joke. How's your back nine? It's a pretty great joke. I'll be honest. It's 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 such a it's like a weirdly sophisticated joke that could only work in reboot in a show that was both referring to the prisoner and golf. Like you put remove any one of those elements and that joke just doesn't make anywhere near as much sense. All the layers. So as Bob and Dot slip by, Mega Enzo follows along on his bike with Andrea behind them. And they're headed towards Dot's diners. And she is getting way too into her cosplay. It's like she's enjoying (laughs) being a virus. I kind of love Hex Andrea. There's something about it that's really fun. Yeah. Maybe I just miss Hex. I think that's it. Like It was was nice seeing Bob and Dot back, but it was also kind of nice seeing Megabyte and Hex back, too. It was. It's amazing how much you miss the villains. Yeah. Hex is already kind of kooky off the wall self-contradictory and everything like that so adding in andrea into that kind of personality cocktail just i don't know it it enhances it it does so enzo bursts in but it's not the diner anymore mike and cecil are on a seesaw and there's a group of black and white faced onlookers as judge bob rises to the chanting horde here comes the judge here comes the judge everybody knows 
this one's interesting because this is another reference to a scene from The Prisoner, but it's like, it's not even that iconic of a scene. And I'm kind of confused as to why, like, of all the Prisoner references they could have gone to, they went to <laughs> this one, which I think is from the last episode of The Prisoner. It is. It's from the very last episode, which I think kind of worked for what they're going for. Sure. Because of the themes that they're throwing in there. So Dot reads out the charges to him, which include believing that the ends justify the means and becoming everything he claims to hate. He asks for a lawyer and uh, Hack and Slash arrive as character witnesses. Too bad they aren't very good ones. (laughs) No, not at all. They start singing Dem Bones as they rise up and they call him a jerk and then sit down again. (laughs) Still guilty. (laughs) Enzo protests that he's Enzo, gosh darn it. He's not Megabyte, but Dot's not having it. She charges at him, and when Enzo grabs her to stop her, she disappears in his hands. Uh, Is it too early still for Infinity War spoilers? (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel so good. This fever dream is getting even feverier. So Bob asks if he has any last words before execute, I mean sentencing him. (laughs) And Enzo's like, please tell me who number one is. I must know. And they all start chanting guilty, guilty, guilty. And then Enzo gets real mad and claws them all. Yeah, he slashes at the air, exasperated, and the scene vaporizes. Leaving him alone in the dark with a single spotlight on him and Hextrea showing up. She taunts him for not having figured it out yet. Who's number one? We're number one! <laughs> Thanks, cheerleaders. At this point, I kind of actually wonder if this is a reference to Neon Genesis Evangelion, which I think that might have been. I don't remember. I don't know what year that came out in. I think it was older. It was prior to this. I think it was prior to this. Yeah. Whether or not it was prior to this and people not in Japan saw it is a different question. (laughs) Sure. So a vid window pops up, but turns out it's just a mirror. And in Megavite's voice, he announces, I am number one. Megabyte declares that he is the driving force behind his every action. He is hatred incarnate and living rent-free inside your head. (laughs) Matrix claws the mirror, causing him to burst out of his Megabyte form and back into his Matrix form. And again, another mirror pops up, and this time Matrix says, I am number one. I care for no one. You can tell it's Mirror Enzo because he has a goatee. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, regular Enzo has a goatee too. Ooh, twist. (laughs) He cares only for number one, and then that's when Matrix shoots the mirror. He rejects this claim with bullets. I like Andrea, gosh darn it. And that's when out of the darkness comes the real number one. The original Enzo, zero one. He rips Matrix for killing the boy inside of him, for forgetting his family and his friends, and for letting himself become a prisoner of the games. And because there can be only one, he tosses a golf ball at him. But it's no golf ball. It's a big, gigantic, white, milky blob that envelops him. And then everything goes black. Until he wakes up, and Andrea's looking over him, smiling, and wearing golf clothes. He wakes up on the ground, apparently having been knocked out by an errant golf ball in Fairway Frolic. It really all was just a fever dream. He's even got a little lump on his head. Yeah. We get to see some cartoonish golfers playing nearby, and Andrea tells him to just rest and relax. I'll win the game. So Enzo decides that he's tired of acting like a virus, infecting games and systems. The search for Mainframe and Bob begins now. But first, time to murder some stuffed animals. PC and you. Reboot! So, Tom, what did you think of your foray back into the reboot world? Mm-hmm. Well, it was uh, it was real interesting. I um, It's one of those things that you have no idea how it's going to hold up when you revisit it as an adult. 
And there are aspects of the show that aren't quite as cool as I remember, but you know, I have been enjoying rewatching them, and I think this is my favorite episode of the ones that I've rewatched so far. So, yeah, I uh, I really did enjoy this. Nice. Now, have you watched The Prisoner? Yeah, I've watched um I've watched the whole original series. I also watched the regrettable uh, 2009, I think it was AMC reboot. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, with Ian McKellen. Yeah, and he's quite good in it. And there are a few other people. I think Haley Atwell's in it, maybe. But yeah, it's it, it's not not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and th- that was that was the reason I was when I looked at the list of episodes, I was like, oh, I want to be on to talk about this one because um, I am such a fan of The Prisoner that I thought it would be uh, it'd be fun to kind of revisit reboot through that lens, and it was. So I was really looking forward to this because I have definitely not watched this episode since I knew what The Prisoner was. The first times I watched this episode, I had zero clue the prisoner was a thing that could be referenced. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of this episode was very confusing. It's still a little confusing. (laughs) Yeah. It's still a little confusing, but (laughs) it makes a little bit more sense. I mean, a lot of it you can write up as just being a dream. Dreams are weird. A lot of weird stuff happens in dreams. But going and knowing what the different references was, it made a lot more sense. The fact that it was all a dream was kind of a letdown for me because I was I was kind of hoping it would maybe be a trap or some something else that was like actually consequential that they would actually have to work through. But a lot of the more interesting aspects of of the episode, like oh, a- a- Andrea's really losing herself in this in this hexadecimal persona. Um, we don't have to like deal with the implications of that because eh, it's not real. It's just a crazy thing that Enzo thought of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually thought this one was a blast. I feel like we're finally getting back on track after the last few episodes. Like it kind of it slumped a little in parts, but like the mind screw and the humor seems to be getting back to like that balance that I really like. And like I said, it was nice seeing the old characters again. It felt like familiar and comfortable, even while playing with our expectations. But I do have some notes. Well, since when do we get the impression that Enzo wasn't looking for Bob in mainframe? Like, that's been the driving force behind these last several. So, like, that whole, like, welcome back didn't really seem to fit with his character. I was a little confused by that, too. I'm not quite sure what he's saying at the end. It seems like he wants to do something other than what they've just been doing. But it having been such a long time since I've seen the subsequent episodes, I don't really know what that is. Like, in the beginning, I know he was feeling disheartened and thinking about giving up, but I never got the impression that he preferred the games to, you know, reality or finding Bob and Mainframe again. Like, that's been the whole goal the whole time. I do feel like this episode would have benefited from the previous episodes being better. (laughs) 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 Which, you know, those episodes would have benefited too. The biggest problem, though, is the problems we had with those episodes, which is they didn't seem to really be talking about Matrix and Andrea's journey. They were Monster of the Week episodes, and they weren't really, here are these people that have been going on for, what, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, for all intents and purposes. That that wears on you. So I, I would have liked to see more of that, and that would have, I think, felt more earned in this one. Uh, but I mean, they, they got their point across. I think we knew exactly where Matrix was going and then what he was feeling. So it just, it would have done better with the other episodes being behind it yeah in fact he mentions like feeling like that he's been infecting other systems i'm like the only infecting he's been doing is spreading little enzos around everywhere (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) but uh something i only just now realized and kind of blew my mind uh if you look at the color scheme of these characters so enzo andrea and mouse right they're green orange and purple respectively 
those are all secondary colors, and up until season three, they were all secondary characters. And what color was Bob, our primary character? Blue, a primary <laughs> color. Ooh. So I don't know how intentional that was, but it's interesting. So like the secondary characters were all secondary colors, but now they're the primary characters. If I uh, point out that the primary colors for light are different than the primary colors for paint, are you going to get mad at me? No. Okay. <laughs> it also doesn't explain hack and slash being red and blue either. So you got me there. Well, they're, they're among the most important characters. Yeah. They really are. And that was one of the things too, is getting to see hack and slash again was really nice. They're just funny. Now, now that I've seen this, though, is the prisoner spoiled for me? Like, can I make assumptions based on how this played out? Uh, yeah, actually, you can. It's a little spoiled. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the prisoner is unspoilable in that um, if you go into the prisoner invested in like, oh, I want to find out what's going to happen. Like, you're going to be disappointed because like the show does not end in a dramatically satisfying way. Um, yeah. It's all just a bunch of weird stuff. And... The uh, the courtroom scene in this episode is uh, is weird enough with you know here comes the judge here comes the judge <laughs> and then uh, for no readily apparent reason hack and slash singing them bones but the courtroom scene in the prisoner is like a million times weirder and uh, makes less <laughs> sense like I feel like you can still get quite a lot of value out of the prisoner even if this has has kind of given some of the game away yeah I would say it it hits a lot of the same notes in the themes which is you know, you are a prisoner of your own making and only you can break yourself out kind of thing, which is what Matrix does here and con- and the themes that are expressed throughout the prisoner. So it worked really well for what they were trying to establish with this character. Yeah, because I watched the first episode in preparation for this, but like I didn't have time to binge the whole series. But yeah, I was really worried. I was like, oh no, did they just reveal the end? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of, how come there were no crazy cuts in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of glad. Don't don't actually do that. But <laughs> you're watching The Prisoner, and every time you turn around, they have a different cut of someone's face doing weird things. Yeah. <laughs> there was none of that in this episode. It was very hard to look away from the screen. Like, if, if I glanced anywhere, I felt like I missed something. <laughs> The prisoner is very much about about a journey. <laughs> like it's it's the yes. journey, not the destination. I did I did like the way that um the comparisons between Matrix and Megabyte, and then the comparisons between him and the young Enzo. You know, that's the kind of thing that could be kind of hacky and cliched, but I, I thought it was actually like really getting at something about you know how he's changed as a person. Like Megabyte kind of dissed him a few episodes back and said you're just a delivery boy, and in in some ways he's like. Megabyte's almost like as much of a thing he's striving for as Bob is. Maybe I'm overanalyzing a little bit, but... No, I, I agree. I mean, the whole first two seasons, he was struggling with the fact that he was just a little kid. And he, like, straight out says, like, I really don't want to be that again. Like, I hate what I've been, essentially. You can feel his fear every time he tells Dot that, no, I'm Enzo, and Dot reacts with, you're not my little brother. Like, you, you can tell that that's what he's afraid of when he gets home is that he's going to show up and Dot's going to be like, you're not my brother. Hmm. And like, it feels visceral when he, when they're acting together, I'm like tearing up. It's like, it's, it's emotional. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, that, and, and that's interesting because before leaving mainframe, he was, you know, kind of the opposite. He felt a little oppressed by her constant, like fussing over him and treating him like just the kid, the kid brother rather than as the big grown up badass in his own right. Whereas now he's kind of the ultimate, 
big muscle man <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and now he's afraid that he won't be seen as a little brother. And I know this one's kind of all about Enzo's journey, but it still seemed like Andrea got sidelined again. Like she's just hanging out in the lair, making faces in the mirror and like just following along on the bike, you know? It's true. All Any, any character stuff that happened with her was all in Enzo's head not in her head so we don't she wasn't actually in the episode she was actually <laughs> winning the game while he was knocked out that's true yeah because yeah, there's a there's a part of my brain that like wants to overanalyze her like relationship with the persona of Hex that she kind of becomes but then I realize oh wait that's not that's not real so uh it doesn't doesn't bear that kind of examination which is why I'm a little disappointed it is real in Enzo's brain though so now I'm wondering does he have a little crush on Hex <laughs> well that's what I'm wondering now so he <laughs> thinks that Andrea has a thing for Megabyte or, or or something. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't go too far into that one, lest we <laughs> break some rule 34 on the internet. <laughs> Alphanumeric! So, uh, every week, Jessica brings the trivia, so uh, what do you got for bits and bites this week? Alright, so we're going to start first with Ian James Corlett, who was the voice of Cursor last episode, and is now the voice of Bob. <gasps> he did change! So when you were mentioning that he wasn't a very good Bob last episode, I thought it was really funny, because... <laughs> Here he is, he's Bob. It's funny though, but like his Bob voice wasn't that noticeably different this time. No, he did a very good job. And especially I think with what I was speaking at before, where they kind of felt like a little like pleasant fillish. So I think he he brought that in, like the little bit of the extra hero-ness to him. And then um, they made one or two references to the old show called The Prisoner. Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) Oh really? (laughs) I don't know if you might've picked up on that, real subtle. So first we get the episode title, number seven. Now this is a reference to number six, who's the main character of The Prisoner. Uh, However, they changed it to seven because it's episode seven. And other than that, I don't think that's a reference to anything that appears or happens in this episode. No. No, it's not. They don't mention number seven at all. (laughs) Uh, The multiple be seeing yous with a little like okay thing over the eye. Uh, which is the classic prisoner goodbye in the village. So we get the entire opening of the prisoner with Mega Enzo writing to the principal office. We get Enzo straight up quoting, I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. Uh, I want to actually call out the cup and saucer. (laughs) He pounds on this table that is there for no readily apparent reason and has a cup and saucer on it. And it just makes me happy. That's why it's there. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why it's there is so that he can pound on it and make a prisoner reference. Yes. The file cabinet that he's getting put into, along with the Xing out of his face, mm-hmm. is also what happens in the prisoner. Like, this is all from the intro. This is the first like five minutes of the prisoner. Uh, and then we finally jump to the end. The jury looks just like the jury from the prisoner with the masks and the hoods. Uh, we get a giant binome with an eyeball, which is very reminiscent of a giant computer with an eyeball in the prisoner uh we get hack and slash singing them bones which is also what happens in that episode really weird we get who is number one which is a recurring theme uh and the giant white ball which is the security measure of the village that cracked me up too when i was watching i was like what is this big balloon (laughs) it's so weird um an- another thing is when they when they go when he first goes into the courtroom you see um a seesaw yeah oh yes 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 a seesaw i didn't write that down which is i don't think it's specific to the courtroom it's just something that appears throughout the prisoner that's what the surveillance people are on <laughs> and it's never explained and doesn't need to be in my opinion oh in the office yeah that's right yep it's how they watch him yeah on the seesaw <laughs> uh and we get a few uh 
he's a jolly good fellow tunes in the background, which is also also happens in the prisoner a bunch. Mm-hmm. So I think I got them all. <laughs> if I didn't, don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so moving on from the prisoner, we've got golf. <laughs> Just plain old everyday golf. Uh, we get the birdie or bogey reference. We get Bob's possibly erotic golf clubs thanking Hack and Flash, <laughs> followed by his hole in one. Uh, we get the how's your back nine, possibly one of the best jokes of all time. Uh, we get little Enzo throwing the golf ball at Big Enzo's head, which I think, you know, should be Big Enzo getting the clue that he got hit in the head with the golf ball. Mm. And then when he wakes up, he is playing golf with a shark, a tiger, and a sombrero. Uh, so these are all references to actual golfers. Really? So Greg Norman is the great white shark, is his nickname. Huh. Uh, tiger Woods is the tiger. That one's That makes sense. Obvious. <laughs> and then my favorite, the sombrero. So the sombrero is more than likely a reference to the Merry Mexican a.k.a. Lee Trevino. And no, there is no relation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Every time I introduce myself to a white man over a certain age, it is followed almost immediately with, oh, are you related to the golfer? (laughs) So no, for the rest of the world, I am not related to Lee Trevino. (laughs) Next time you say, no, but I am related to the hat in an episode of Reboot. Oh, man, we knew one of the co-creators. We could make that canon. (laughs) So we get Here Come the Judge, the little song there that they sing, is uh, actually considered one of the first rap songs. Uh, It's by uh, American soul and comedy singer Pig Meat Markham. (laughs) Pig Meat. Oh, I've heard of that. Uh, First released in 1968, but it's probably more specifically a reference to Sammy Davis Jr., he did this skit on Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In in which he played a silly judge and he would open it up with, here come the judge, here come the judge. Huh. And then a quick little Highlander reference in there with there can be only one. <laughs> All right. So uh, obviously, so the game this week was just a pretty generic golf game, but did you uh, bring any golf specific game to the table? <laughs> Yeah, I found two and I tried to find uh, some weirder ones because as far as I could tell, they were on floating golf platforms, which is not your normal golf game. Mm. So I found one called Putt and Putter is a miniature golf game released for Sega back in 1992 um, and then also Sega Game Gear in 91. And it was floating golf platforms. (laughs) No, oh, nice. So you're playing golf. Now, these were more angular, which I thought was funny because IRL in the 90s, you probably have angles, not smooth curves like you saw on the TV show. <laughs> but <laughs> essentially the same thing. You're on a little floating golf platform in your ball. And there's another one I found called True Golf Classics Wicked 18. And this came out in 1993 for Super NES. So this one, you were on the ground, but a lot of stuff was floating in the air. Which I think kind of counts, right? That's the game of golf. (laughs) Just strange debris floating. (laughs) Oh, man. Now I'm thinking of like a space golf game. That'd be fun. Oh, zero G. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, there are a million to one actual golf games somewhere you get to play real players like we kind of saw in this episode. Uh, Somewhere you get to like make a little wee wee guy (laughs) and decide to make him look like you and then play golf. And then accidentally smash your TV when the Wiimote goes flying out of your hand. 
aside from Wii Golf, I also had uh, on the Sega Genesis, it was a PGA Tour Golf, which was like officially licensed. <laughs> I'm fairly certain there was a golf game that came free with computers for a while. And I think I played that. But uh, my husband actually recently was playing a golf game called Golf Story, which was a golf RPG. Yeah, I have that on the Switch. It's uh, it's pretty good. I haven't played the whole thing. It's, it's very relaxing. Have either of you played 1,000 Foot Robot Golf, which is narrated by the McElroy brothers? I have not, but I have seen the video of it. Yeah, same here. <laughs> but I do want to play it because the McElroys are hilarious. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't have the equipment to play that game, but I want to. So I get the general feeling that we've all at some point played golf games. Would you play this golf game where you get to be a tiger or a shark or a sombrero? Yeah, sure. I feel like (laughs) this is a game I would play at like a cousin's house. That's a good call. I I feel that. I can definitely see me (laughs) playing this with my cousins and one of them picking the sombrero. That may or may not be a racist stereotype, but I'll gloss over that. (laughs) This is wrong. This is all wrong. So each week... We like to find our frostiest of moments and then award the golden pigtail to the winner. We'll start with you, Tom. Did you choose a frosty moment? Um, I think I think it might actually be the moment when uh, Matrix Megabyte decides he's going to go confront Bob and Dot and they reenact the opening from Arrival, the first episode of The Prisoner. And I, I think that's, I think, like, it's so clearly a loving rendition of it. Like, there's so many particulars about, like, you see the feet, you see the close-up on the face, you see the long shot of the of the hover thingy, whereas instead of the car, and it's just, it just warms my heart. It was pretty much shot for shot in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Jess? So, Back Nine definitely gets runner-up for me, for sure. That was a great joke. <laughs> I was going to originally say Andrea Hex because I just had so much fun watching her and watching her enjoy her new powers and herself. Like it was so much fun and like her flipping back and forth. But as we were talking about it and like I almost made myself tear up, I feel like it has to be the Enzo's fear there of the dot's not gonna love him anymore as his little mm-hmm. brother. I'm like it's so like heart wrenching. <laughs> And like, again, so subtle, like they don't overplay that. They just put it in there so that you know that he he has this fear about their meeting again. Yeah, that, that gets my win, I think. Well, for me, my runner up is the uh, Dembone scene. Because <laughs> for one, I didn't realize that that was a direct reference. But, uh, but my frostiest moment for the episode has to be assume the position. <laughs> and then they bend over and right in front of them. <laughs> For him to give them a spanking. <laughs> the implication here, too, is that they've done this before. This is a common thing for them. <laughs> Which, since this is all in Matrix's mind, what is that kid thinking about? Yeah, he's got some unresolved issues. <laughs> this also kind of heavily implies that he knows what golf is. Like, I mean, I guess there's, there are a lot of golf games. This is another golf game. But I'm always confused about what they do and don't know from the outside world. <laughs> Because I, I get amused by the fact that they don't know what Santa is, but they do know what zombies are? Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it all depends on what games you're exposed to, I guess. Yeah, there aren't that many Santa games, I guess. Yeah, I always wonder that. But they do actually have a golf course in mainframe. Oh, okay. So huh. that is one of the things that when they first land, he says, oh, man, another golf game. That is the actual golf course from mainframe. So make of that what you will. <laughs> wow. Let's open up our little mailbag and see what kind of feedback we got this week. All right. So uh, Cameron O'Hara uh, says that 
This episode is actually the first time we get to see the original mainframe, Clear Skies and Bobful, in Season 3's graphic awesomeness. That's true, because as of Season 3, everything has been post-web world war. So the skies have been dark, there's been firewalls, everything's been like sad and gross. <laughs> so this is the first time we get to see like pre-war mainframe. Vindolf uh, Dwarf agreed with you, Tom, that he thought this might be a tie-in with the PlayStation reboot game, but then it turned much weirder. <laughs> uh, Daniel Barrett on Facebook says, I was very confused the first time I saw this one, even if seeing Mainframe and Bob again was nice. Meanwhile, my dad really enjoyed the episode. <laughs> he later sat me down to watch The Prisoner, and after that, it all made sense. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people that like didn't realize that they were references until later on, <laughs> and like they they just thought it was a bonkers episode for the sake of it. <laughs> uh, Jan McCormick says it was really odd how Matrix's voice was coming out of Megabyte, especially when it actually switched temporarily to Tony J's voice. That and it had the best line from the whole show. Could you pass me my legs? <laughs> Which we kind of glossed over that part. That was a very good line. And yeah, I, like we mentioned before, the the voices going in and out was done so well yeah it's weird how smooth the transitions are too it's very unnerving (laughs) i I almost wonder if they kind of had the actors kind of going into impressions of the other characters and then having the other characters go in and do their thing so that they can lay it over kind of seamlessly maybe yeah a quick note on the um the excellent voice acting in this episode so the director of this one was actually not andrea romano who does most of it it was michael donovan who is the voice of Mike the TV and Fong and Cecil. So it was, it's cool that he got, got into the directing role here, and he did a fantastic job with it. Wow. We have uh, Anthony Kuchar at Cerebus92. Said uh, he was confused as a kid, but in a good way. It inspired him to watch The Prisoner years later, and that show blew his mind. But he also considers this to be the turning point in Enzo's character arc. In Campbellian terms, or Campbellian? Uh, this is his belly of the beast, where he stops feeling sorry for himself and decides to take control over his destiny, rescue Bob, his symbolic father figure, and protect his city. L.R.G. Carter says that although this one takes much of the script of the final episode of The Prisoner, it also happens to have the same theme, if the opposite conclusion, to the final episode of Quantum Leap. Huh. It's been a while since I used to watch Quantum Leap a lot. Uh, but I don't know if I remember any of the last episode, so... Now I'm kind of intrigued. I feel like I got to go back and and watch the last episode. (laughs) So at Bry Kotick on Twitter says, I actually didn't realize Corlett replaced Benier as Bob when it first aired. It was a solid impression. I'll have more to say about that sometime later, maybe. Cryptic stuff here. (laughs) It's a uh, a teaser for next week, I guess. (laughs) So we do have a new patron this week, and it is Chris Nyarati. Nyarati? I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, get a, since he's a $5 backer, we'll get a nickname. All right. So obviously we have to give you a number. How does number six sound? All right. Chris, number six, Nayarity. So thank you again for all of our patrons. We love you and adore you. Especially since I now have wasps in my ceilings. <laughs> <laughs> um, and thank you again to everyone who talks to us on our Twitter and uh, our Facebook. We really love being able to hear from you guys every week um and we love that you guys really like our show it's still kind of weird that uh the show that we started people actually listen to and like want to be on and want to talk to us about so uh yeah thank you guys so much for being a part of it we appreciate it yeah thanks guys and gals everyone (laughs) i think it's time to make this voyage 
unprofitable. So, uh, is there anything you want to recommend to our listeners this week? Uh, so yeah, I started this new show on Netflix, and then I finished this new show on Netflix, because that's how Netflix works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called Kim's Convenience, and it's just this little sitcom about this immigrant family from Korea living in Canada, and it is absolutely hilarious, and I love it. It is just a lot of warm feelings and general hilarity. And at one point they make like the world's best madman joke, which you will only ever get if you've watched Mad Men five times in a row and then watch the show. So <laughs> uh, I would definitely check it out. It's really fun. And then also one other thing, uh, if you are interested in reading a comic that I drew, um, there's a Kickstarter out right now and you should be able to still catch it by the time this airs. Uh, it's called The Soul Divided, Caged in Flesh. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde anthology. It's a two-sided book, so pretty much one side is a soul divided, the other side is caged in flesh, uh, and theme-wise, one side is Jekyll and one side is Hyde. Um, I have a comic in the Hyde one. Uh, it was written by someone else, but all the art's done by me, um, including a weird cow demon guy. <laughs> so just FYI, it's really dark, uh, but if you want to check it out, it's on Kickstarter, and I'll have links on my Twitter and stuff, so uh, you can you can visit me there and take a look at it and Hopefully uh, you like what you see. All right. Sounds great. Tom, what about you? Anything you want to recommend? Um, I Yeah, I actually want to. It's not something I necessarily picked up recently, but I want to recommend it to fans of Reboot. I think they might like the webcomic Homestuck, which is a terrifying fandom that many people on the internet are afraid of, but it's died down a little bit in recent years. So it's got kind of some similar themes of like, it's about people who kind of live in a game, in a video game, and the constructs within the game get personified as characters. And there's uh, the, especially with the uh, the current arc of uh, reboot that y- y'all are going through right now, where you've got these characters who are kind of lost in the net and on their way home. There, there are sort of themes of that 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 find their way into Homestuck. So I recommend that. Now the thing with Homestuck is that's the conceit of that is that it's like an interactive text adventure, right? Yeah, that's a that's a kind of a strange uh, thing about it, where it's it's like a mishmash of cultural influences, like all the way from like nineteen like late eighties text adventures up through you know contemporary meme culture. But uh, but yeah, the the conceit of it is that it, in fact it actually was for a while the case that readers would submit commands to the author of the work, and he would use those to. Uh, proceed eventually he dropped that and started just generating his own commands yes yeah, i i didn't get into homestuck but i liked his earlier one problem sleuth yeah yeah problem sleuth is also good and uh for me it's not a specific pop culture reference but i'm going to recommend geocaching if you don't know what that is it's this uh online scavenger hunt where people hide things all over the globe these little containers and what you do is you go and you you have the app and you find some random things they might be in the woods they might be in the city they might be hiding under a street lamp they might be uh tied up in a tree somewhere but uh it's all these little hidden things sometimes it's just a thing that you sign the log and then you go back on your merry way sometimes it's a container that has all kinds of like goodies and like fun little stuff inside of it you never know um but it's it's a lot of fun to do if you're a, an explorer or like a hiker and it's something that uh my wife and i have been doing for several years now it's been a lot of fun i've always wanted to do it it always seemed like a lot of fun but then i remember that the outdoors occasionally scare me <laughs> So what are we looking at next week? Uh, let's see. Next week. Next week. What was the name of what was the name of that episode again? Oh, right. The episode with no name. That was it. Oh, <laughs> untitled <laughs> 404. Now that we're back in the swing of it emotionally, we're getting back into the swing of it plot wise. 
Oh. Uh, we are revving up the overarching narrative of reboot in general. Uh, so it's it's going to get wild. Are we going to revisit the firewall where we last left Cyrus and, and everybody? No, we're not going to be revisiting the firewall, but we will see... Well, I won't say a familiar face, because we've never actually seen his face. A familiar voice. <laughs> hmm. Have I intrigued you? I'm always intrigued. <laughs> Intriguing. <laughs> In the meantime, you can always catch us on Incoming Game Pod on Twitter, Incoming Game Cast on Facebook, and IncomingGameCast.com. You can catch me at Dudworks, D-U-D-W-O-R-K-S, on the various social media. You can catch me at Storvino Lady. That's S-T-I-R-V-I-N-O Lady. And that's on Facebook, on Twitter, and other various social medias. How about you, Tom? You want to plug yourself? Yeah, sure. If you uh, want to see tweets about my podcast, you can go to The Moment Pod on Twitter. And if you want to see tweets about the strange, random nonsense that I tend to tweet about in fits and starts, it's at Now We Are All Tom on Twitter. <laughs> Is there a specific episode of the Doctor Who moment that you want to uh, recommend to first timers? Um, uh, I don't know. I think if you like Doctor Who, um, and there's an era of the show you have a particular affection for, then go for that. But if you just want to, you know, just pick one at random. The most recent one that just came out with Alex Cox is a really good one. So nice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us this week. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. All right. The music is Spasmatica Polka by Kevin McLeod. And until next time, be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Well, obviously, we have to give him number six. God damn it, cat. <laughs> Ruining my take. Chris, god damn it, cat, number six. <laughs> okay, Tom, anything you want to throw in that I can pop into earlier if you want to miss, think we missed something? Uh, I think just uh, when, when you edit, just make me sound smart. <laughs> make me sound smart and cool. Okay.